Hello, heathens. Welcome to the Bloodcast. My name is Ingmar, and this is the official start of the second season. Sorry that the last episode wasn't that long, but I'm still in the middle of a bit of a change, so please excuse this. So today we are going to talk about an ancient festival that has its roots probably in the early Stone Age, was celebrated throughout Europe, was brought to Ireland through the Celtic tribes, was transformed through the Christianization of Great Britain, and found new life in spiritual, pagan, heathen and Wicca people. It is still celebrated by Christians in some shape or form, but it varies from its origins. So, if that sounds interesting to you, I think we should talk about it, shall we? What festival are we talking about? The festival is called Imbolc, either with a C or a G at the end. And as I said, it's a pre-Christian celebration with its early mention in Irish literature found in the 10th century. It is a spring celebration that falls exactly between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. In modern heathen terms between Yule and Ostara and in modern, modern terms between Christmas and Eastern. It's a celebration of spring because this was a significant time for people in the ancient times because we have to think about the perspective of these people. After a long and probably grueling winter, the snow stops and melts away at this point, nature starts to wake up. Trees grow their first buds, the first flowers begin to sprout. Here in Germany, the first flowers that bloom are called Schneeglöckchen, in English snowdrops. And this is always fascinating to see them, because nature knows that winter is over and sometimes snow is still falling or is still some snow left, but these snowdrops just break through the snow and greet the sun. It's always a wonder to see. Uh, but I digress. We are talking about Imbolc. So normally if you look it up, it will be celebrated at the beginning of February, like the first or second one. But this is probably a mix-up with the Christianization or the attempt mix-up with the old beliefs of the festiv festivity. The Christian equivalent is called St. Bridget's Day or Candlemas in English. In Germany it's called Maria Lichtmess. And they are always celebrated 40 days after the birth of Christ and that's again February the 2nd. The heathen date of the fest, if you want to call it like that, is normally afterwards, like between the 3rd and 5th, depending on the spring equinox. And other, another day that comes to mind for celebrating spring is in connection with the moon. There are actually some texts that refer to the practice because there was a time when early civilization did not orient themselves on the sun, on, on its circuit, but on the moon. And they are then depending on the full moon or the new moon. So another day to celebrate Imbolc would be the second full moon after Yule, that would be the 25th of January 2024, or the 9th of February, this would be the second new moon after Yule. So, as you see, I'm a bit late to talk about this festival, but I wanted to talk about all the eight great festivals of modern paganism in this podcast, so maybe take this episode as an inspiration for yours next year ritual or if you haven't done it this year there is still time to welcome spring and the gifts that it bestows now let's talk about the name origin let's talk about the name imbolc because it's at it's an etymology is a bit vague to say the least and there are many different theories where this word or root words could stem from 
A common explanation is that it comes from an old Irish word, e bolg, so basically the same word, just with a space between the first I and the M, and it ends on a C. But this word is still used in modern Irish. It's written basically the same, but with a G at the end. And in both ways, the meaning is some kind of in the shape of in the belly. And it refers to the pregnancy and therefore lactate of ewes, so mother sheep, at this time of year. Joseph Vendrix links it to an old Irish verb called folklame, which means something like to wash or cleanse oneself. And he tried to link it to some sort of ritual cleansing of people and stock, so the animals of the farm, similar to an ancient Roman festival called Februar or Lupercalia. Februar as a verb also means cleaning or cleansing. Scientist Eric P. Hemp derives it from a Proto-Indo-European root meaning both milk and cleansing. So, right on topic. The early 20th century Cormac glossary has an entry for the word oimelk, calling it the beginning of spring and the arriving of oimelk, again meaning you milk, interpreted as the time the sheep milk comes. I also found an explanation from an old Irish word impfolk, meaning again something like cleaning or cleansing. So milk, cleaning, cleansing are the three important things to take of the interpretation of imbolk. Now let's look at equivalence. So in different cultures are there spring celebrations and I picked some of them for you out. The first one that comes to mind is the Nordic equivalent. It's called Disablot or Disblot. And we know from the name of the podcast, Blot means ritual. So what are these or Diesen? And the Diesens are female entities and they have, have three categories. The first one is goddesses. There to mention would be Freya and Skadi. Freya is the goddess of love and witchcraft. And Skadi is heavily intertwined with winter and the symbols of winter. Then nature beings for fertility giving aspects and the vegetation. And then we have the ancestresses, like foremothers, birth attendants, protection of individuals, family or entire tribes. The decent care for the protection of the home and they give blessing upon it and family, uh, it and the family in a sense of luck and thrive. There are protectors of childbirth and there's even sources that implies the decent help with childbirth and that runes are used to summon them or that they themselves use runes. We read from the Sigtrifumal 9 Hini, understand rescue runes. If you want to save and release the child from the womb, carve the runes on your hand and run them over your limbs. Ask for help from the decent. The significance of the decent can still be felt in modern Scandinavia. It's still said that they are a female that they are the female expression of the soul itself. And often women that are involved with supernatural powers were also called decent. A middle European term for this would be witch in a broader sense. You can still find a lot of female Scandinavian names that end on tis, like Fredis, Tordis, Astis, Vanadis, and so on. There are two occasions in the year that the Disablot is celebrated. It's always after the main seasons, winter and summer, so right on the edge of spring and fall. The sources of this time are pretty vague, vague with the date 
but we know that it wasn't celebrated on a solstice or an equinox, so it must be in between. And in modern Sweden we still find celebrations of the Disa blot and it falls together with the aforementioned candle mass and on the 2nd of February. But that should be all for the Disa blot for now. Maybe we will talk about it in a whole episode, maybe next year, but let's get back to the topic. Another equivalent would be the Roman Lupercalia. The Romans held a festival at this time. It was called Lupercalia and it was a pastoral festival of ancient Rome observed annually in February the 15th. It was helped to purify the city, promoting health and fertility. It is also known as Dies Februatus or Februar after the purification instrument that was used during the ritual. And as we know, it's the basis for the month named February. There seems to be a connection between Lupercalia and an ancient Greek festival called Arcadia Lycaia, which was a wolf festival, like the name Lupus in Latin and in Greek Lupus wolf would be Lycos, Lycaia. In this Roman festival, the ritual practices were pretty interesting to say the least, so let me tell you about them. The Lupercalia ritual took place in a few places. The first and foremost important one would be Luprical Cave on Palatine Hill, which is one of the seven hills that Rome was built upon. And in the ancient city of Rome, it would be located pretty much in the middle southwest region, this hill. Another place where the ritual took place was in the public meeting place called Comitium. The festival began at Luprical Cave with the sacrifice of one or more male goats, a representation of sexuality, and a dog was also sacrificed. But it gets weirder. Uh, the sacrifices were performed by the Luperci, a group of Roman priests, which then smeared the blood of the animals on two of the priests that were totally naked. And afterwards, the blood was washed off the sacrificial blade with milk-soaked wool as the Luperci laughed out loud. But it gets even stranger. They then continue to skin the sacrificial animals and cut strips from the hide, also called thongs or februa, and then began frantically running out of the cave bare naked and started <laughs> whipping any woman within striking distance with these thongs. <laughs> this sounds like uh, off-the-charts fertility ritual and it really puzzled me to hear that about the Imperium Romana because I always thought of them to be more conservative. But it needs to be mentioned that the ritual changed over the years and became more orderly, let's say it like this. And after the, the whipping occurred, um, it, the, the ritual continues with the single man of the city randomly chose woman's name from a jar to be coupled with them for the duration of the festival. And funny enough, the couples often stayed together until the following year's festival. Many fall in love and, and even in times married. So it worked, the ritual. <laughs> and the last equivalent I want to talk about would be the Candlemas. Uh, which falls on February the 2nd, right at the end of winter, and it marks the end of the Christmas cycle in Christianity. But what does it celebrate? Candlemas is a religious festival held 40 days after Christmas to commemorate the, present, the presentation of Jesus in the, middle of, in the Temple of Jerusalem. 
in Jewish tradition, Jesus was Jewish, uh, mothers had to wait for 40 days after they gave birth to purify themselves, and until then they could not present their newborn child to the religious authorities. This ritual involved offering wax candles to be blessed. It is one of the oldest festivals among all those dedicated to the Virgin Mary in the course of the year, and it was introduced by Pope Gelasius in 496 after Christ. Yeah. In the year 496. Uh, There are even rituals in ancient India that have similarities to the European rituals, like the ancient rituals, which we just talked about. But I think that would take too long to talk all about all the different cultures and religions that celebrate the beginning of spring. It's a common occurrence. So after that quick excursion, let's head back to the topic and let us talk about the earliest finding findings of pagan and heathen celebration of the beginning of spring in both. So the earliest findings, we need to look at stone because stone yeah, doesn't wither in time. And there are two important stone works in Ireland that are linked to Imbolc. The first one is the Mound of Hostages, built between 3,350 and 2,800 BC, so about four or five thousand years ago, on the hill of Tara in Tara's Girn Valley in County Meath, Leinster, Ireland. Tradition identifies this hill as the inauguration place and seat of the High King of Ireland. This mount, so this, this Mount of Hostages, is illuminated on the mornings of Samhain and Imbolc. And there are between 250 and 500 bodies buried there, but they're all cremated, so it's not quite sure what the, what the true number is. The other passage tomb would be Kern el Atzlivena Calais. I'm sorry if I butcher the Irish uh, language. Uh, I try my best. And these are a range of hills and ancient burial sites near Old Castle County, Meath, Ireland. On the hilltops are about 20 passage tombs, some decorated with rare megalithic art, which were built in the 4th millennium before Christ, so even older, like uh, 6,000 years old. The hills are named after the Kelech, the divine hag of Irish mythology. Legend has it that the monuments were created when a giant hag, striding across the land, dropped her cargo of large stones from her apron. And these are basically the oldest findings of, of the significance of this time of the year, because the Celts didn't use writing in a modern sense, and the rituals of the time wouldn't produce anything that could be archaeological find uh, who could be find in the ground so we need to turn to stones and what they are telling us about these time so now the earliest findings again these two passage tomes that were illuminated or that they are illuminated at the time of Imbolc um, in the morning and now let's go to the associated gods with Imbolc the first one would be or the major one would be Bridget She is the central figure of Imbolc celebrations that took form of a festival in her honor of the central pagan goddess Bridget, who was evoked in fertility, blessings, and oversaw poetry, crafts, and prophecy. Bridget was worshipped by the Philit, a class of poets and historians among the Celtics of ancient Ireland and Britain. 
Bridget was considered one of the most powerful Celtic gods, the daughter of Dagda, the oldest, the oldest god in, Ke in the Celtic pantheon, Tuatha Dudenen, that's the specific race the Celtic gods derived from. She had two sisters, also named Bridget, though it's speculated that these sisters are meant to symbolize different aspects of the same goddess. Her tree is the birch tree that began to bloom at this time, and the birch juice could be harvested now. Similar to the maple syrup in Canada, actually. The interesting idea about birch juice is that it could be fermented because of the sugar part in the juice, and maybe fermented birch juice <coughs> excuse me, is the first alcoholic drink in Europe. Birch juice is still harvested in Europe, especially in, Eastern, in the eastern regions, and it's said to have healing powers and is overall very healthy, like coconut water. Bridget appears in the saga Keth Mei Turit and the Leber Gabala Eren, a purported history of island collection from various poems and texts in the 10th century. Myths about Bridget's birth say she was born with a flame in her head and drank the milk of a, of a mystical cow from the spiritual world. Bridget is credited with the very first keening, a traditional wailing for the dead, practiced at funerals by Irish and Scottish women. Another Celtic god that would be associated with Imbolc is Aengus Ok, um, and he would always appear young, was most likely a god of love, youth, youthful beauty and uh, poetic inspiration. Another god would be Keridwen, is again a Celtic god. His, pres his presence, he, he presents power of prophecy and he's the keeper of the cauldron of knowledge and inspiration in the underworld. In Greek mythology, associated gods would be Aphrodite, Pan, he's not a god per se, Eros and Gaia, the mother earth or the mother goddess of the Greek mythology. In Roman mythology, it would be Ceres, Faunus, again the equivalent to Pan, and Venus, again the goddess of love. And I wanted to add Kernunos to this list. I added him uh, not from the sources, they don't talk about him at all, but he is a central god of nature and animals, and he is linked with the circle of nature, and could be interpreted as the young forest god that is born in spring, that dies in winter, or he is one of the parents of this nature god. And there are many, many more gods that are associated with the time of spring, but these are the, the significant one that I talked about the equivalents in different cultures, so I, I mentioned those now. Um, the next point I want to talk about are ancient rituals. Unfortunately, little has been handed down about the customs and rituals of the Celts, as they, as I said before, did not record anything in writing. What is known today comes from the traditions of other peoples. For this reason, we can often only surmise how the Celts themselves celebrated their festivals. It is said at the beginning of Imbolc, the Celts first extinguished all the lights in the courtyards before symbolically relighting them with sacred fire. It is assumed that Imbolc was celebrated less as a large-scale festival and more with the family or the clan. After the barren time of winter, which was, a, was spent at home and in the farm, people celebrated together that this time was coming to an end and that nature was slowly and gently awakening. 
The Festival of Imbolc is mentioned in several Irish manuscripts, but they say very little about the original rites and customs. The tale Tokmark Emir, which, which survives in the 10th century version, names Imbolc as one of the four seasonal festivals and says it is when the ewes are milked at spring's beginning. This link of Imbolc with the arrival of lambs and sheep's milk probably reflected farming customs that ensured lambs were born before calves. In late winter, early spring, sheep could survive better than cows and on the sparse vegetation, and farmers sought to resume milking as soon as possible due to their dwindling stores. <clears throat> the Hibernica Monira includes an old Irish poem about the four seasonal festivals. Translated by Kuno Maya, it says, Tasting of each food according to order, this is what is proper at Imbolc, washing the hands, the feet and the head. This suggests a ritual cleansing of some sort. It has been suggested that, the original, that originally the timing of the festival was more fluid and associated with the onset of the lambing season, the beginning of preparation for the spring sowing and the blooming of blackthorn. And in pre-Christian times, Imbolc observance began in the night before February the 1st. Cele celebrants prepared for a visit from Bridget into their home by crafting an effigy of the goddess forming bundles of oaths and rushes. The effigy was placed in a dress and put in a basket overnight. The day of Imbolc was celebrated by rituals including burning lamps and lighting bonfires in tribute of Bridget. Prominent folklorist Sean O'Sullivan wrote, the main significance of the Feast of St. Bridget would seem to be that it was a, a Christianization of one of the focal points of the agri agricultural year in Ireland, the starting point of preparations for the spring sowing. Every manifestation of the cult of the saint or of the deity she replaced is bound up in some way with food production. From the 18th century to the 20th century, many St. Bridget's traditions were recorded by folklorists and other writers. They tell us how it was celebrated then and shed light on how it may have been celebrated in the past. So even the ancient customs are most likely a form of, of scientific imagination. One thing I want to talk about here is there is a, a tradition to bound reeds or oats into a cross, the St. Bridget cross and it could link to an earlier and to, to something earlier because now it's heavily involved with the with the christian part of the the goddess um but it could also be a, a tradition that is much more older because the cross isn't necessarily a christian symbol but it could also be a pagan cross um, because of the how the circle of the year is shaped it it would also form a cross and Yeah, I just wanted to mention it here. Now let's talk about a point that hangs a little bit over this topic. It's the Christianization. And some time ago I wrote a bit of a text about it and I will, will read from this text now. So, the Christianization of the Celtic goddess Bridget into St. Bridget of Calder offers a compelling case study in how religious, religions adapt and absorb elements from one another particularly in the context of converting pagan populations to Christianity. This transformation, while often viewed as a seamless and 
harmonious integration of pagan traditions into Christian practice also raises critical questions about the dynamics of religious and cultural change, the loss of indigenous spiritual identities and the strategies employed by dominant religions to establish supremacy. As it At its core, the transition from Goddess Bridget to St. Bridget presents a strategic move by the early Christian Church to facilitate the conversion of pagan Ireland. By adopting Bridget, a figure already deeply revered in Irish mythology for her associations with healing, poetry, smithcraft and fertility, Christianity provided a familiar touchstone for the newly converted. This eased the transition but also obscured and, to some extent, appropriated the rich tapestry of pre-Christian belief systems. One critical perspective on this process is that it presents a form of cultural and religious colonization. The Christianization of Bridget can be seen as a part of a broader pattern of absorbing indigenous deities and practices into the Christian fold. A tactic that allowed Christianity to spread but also led to the diminishment of pre-existing pre religions. Transformation of Bridget from a goddess embodying the sovereignty and spiritual depth of the Celtic people to a Christian saint could be argued to reflect a loss of cultural identity and auton auton autono geez, autonomy. <laughs> Now I stump. This adoption while presenting This adoption, while preserving the name and some attributes of the goddess, fundamentally altered her significance and role within the spiritual life of the Irish people. Moreover, the rebranding of the Imbolc festival to St. Bridget's Day exemplifies the Christian strategy of syncretism. This approach, while facilitating the acceptance of Christian saints and holidays, also resulted in the gradual erosion of the original meaning and practices associated with the pagan celebrations. The critical question arises, does this represent a respectful adaptation or a subtle form of erasure of pre-Christian beliefs? Another point of critique concerning the narrative of hist historiographical pro processes that contributes to the significance signification of Bridget, the historical Bridget, if she existed, is a singular figure. She shrouded myth and legend with her life, story and miracles echoing those of the goddess. This blurring of lines between historical facts and mythological fabric raises a question about the authenticity of the saint's legend and the extent to which the church may have constructed or embellished these narratives to serve its purpose of conversion and consolidation of power. Furthermore, the gender dynamics at play in the Christianization of Bridget also warrant critical examination. The goddess Bridget was a figure of immense power and autonomy. autonomy so hard <laughs> within Celtic mythology, representing aspects of life and sovereignty that were deeply connected to the land and its people. Her transformation into a Christian saint, while retaining some elements of her divine agency, also conforms for the patriarchal structure of the church, where female saints often embody virtue of humility, service and chastity. 
The shift reflects broader patterns of how female deities and figures of authority in pagan traditions were often diminished or domesticated within the Christian context. In conclusion, while the story of Bridget, transformation from Celtic goddess to Christian saint, is often celebrated for its synthesis of pagan and Christian traditions, a more crit critical examination reveals complex layers of culture, adaptation, appropriation and, at the end, loss. The Christianization of Bridget not only illustrates the church strategies for religious conversion, but also prompts deeper reflection in the implications of such transformations for the preservation of indigenous spiritual practices and identities. So, said, this was a little text of mine that I wrote some times ago about the adaptation of pagan goddesses into Christian beliefs. And as a case study, I use Bridget here as an example, fitting for this topic, I thought. It brings up a lot of issues and a lot of thoughts that needs to be revisited sometime. I just wanted to read that to you just to give you a broad overview of the issue that arises with the adaptation and therefore destruction of indigenous faiths. With that out of the way, let's talk about modern rituals. <coughs> so, the festival is traditionally associated with weather lore and the old tradition of watching to see if serpents or badgers come from their winter dens may be a forerunner for the North American Groundhog Day. And a Scottish Gaelic proverb about this day says, the serpent will come from the hole on the brown day of Bridget, though there should be three feet of snow on the flat surface of the ground. And there are a lot of German proverbs or sayings about this time of year as well to mention a few here. Let's read. When the sun shines at Candlemas, there's lots of snow and frost in February. The Candlemas is dull, is dear to the farmer, but if Candlemas is light, winter does not give way. Candlemas in the clover, eastern in the snow. Easter in the snow. If it's mild and clear at Candlemas, it will be a long winter. If it storms and snows at Candlemas, spring is not far away. But if it's clear and bright, spring will not come so quickly. If there is sunshine on Candlemas, it will be a late spring. So this day was used as a bit of a prophecy to, to, to guide the people. So if the weather is great at this certain day, you could prepare for a longer winter. So winter will, will come back. And if the weather is horrible at Candlemas or at this day, the spring will be on its way. So, Imbolc was believed to be when the Kelich, the divine hag of Gaelic tradition, as I mentioned before, gathers her firewood for the rest of the winter. Legend has it that if she wishes to make the winter last a good while longer, she will make sure the weather on Imbolc is bright and sunny, as a warning, so that she can gather plenty of firewood. Therefore, people would be relieved if Imbolc is a day of foul weather, as it means that Kelech is asleep and winter is almost over. At Imbolc, on the Isle of Men, where she is known as Kelech ni Gromak, the Kelech is said to take the form of a gigantic bird carrying sticks in her beak. And 
We talked about similar modern rituals in Sweden and of course the Christian Candemass. So these proverbs are known everywhere in Europe actually. Now let's talk about, we, we talked about modern, modern rituals or modern proverbs that adapt from this time. We talk about neo-paganism. <clears throat> In neo-paganism, Imbolc takes a focal point for the spring celebrations. And as it is custom to neo-paganism, these rituals can vary widely. Some try to rely on sources like the voyage of Bran, Cormac's adventure in the land of promise, Caramania Gardelica. These are all literatures from medieval Ireland that contains legends, myths, hymns, songs and stories about the culture and the myths that surround Imbolc and many, many other things. And now, as my last point, let's talk about modern heathen rituals. So what can you do now to celebrate spring? Maybe you have some ideas now, maybe you, you, you have some inspiration now to celebrate spring, but I will give you maybe four or five ideas that on your hand. Maybe you can, can make something out of it. The first one we actually did often, or, or, or I think three or five times now, we brought the light through the night and celebrated spring through that. So at the exact time of, of Imbolc, we gathered together on a large mountain here in, in, yeah, in South Germany. And it's, it's, you can drive on, on onto this mountain in, and we, we, we met up at night on the top of the mountain and then we lit torches and we began a hike through the night down to the valley of of yeah of the part in germany where i live and the idea was that the light from the highest peak should be transported and protected until you find signs of spring and normally that took about two and a half hours from from down the down the mountain range And in the valley, we then heavily looked for yeah, flowers that begin to bloom or trees that, that be be became little buds. And after we find the first signs of spring, which we, we stopped and we started to celebrate and drink and just have a blast with, with this with spring. This was our interpretation of, of the Imburg Fest. And I would love to do that uh, again in some, some year again. Another easier ritual to do would be the cleansing of home and oneself. So as I read out in one of the stories that the cleansing of the hands, feet and head um, was mentioned. This, this could be done either with sage or with crystals if you're into this or with, with other scents and cleansing the house there are a lot of different senses you could use and i think you if you if you are interested in cleansing your house or yourself you will find a lot of uh, websites that will give you an idea what you can what you can smoke um or what you can uh yes uh, ignite to to get together the smoke to clean your house and yourself Another easy ritual would be to plant something, either literally or figuratively. Oh, my God, I talk too much. Um, 
either ritually or figuratively. Now I got it. So you could start planting something in your garden or on the the or in your in your home, or you could plant an idea or a dream in your mind and nourish it. So if you want to achieve something, you can now is the time to to plant this the first seeds to achieve the goals you you set for yourself. Another idea to greet spring is to just go into the nature. The sun is shining mostly. Um, not today, it's raining. <laughs> But normally the sun is shining and you can go on a hike, do some exercise in the nature, do some, some breath work, do some yoga, or yeah, just go on a, on a quality hike. And just, I think... Every time spring starts, I can smell it in the air. I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but I always know when spring when spring is close and it just smells great and full of full of love and and nature. And with that point, I'm at the end of my script and I am curious how you're celebrating spring. Maybe you're inspired now after this episode to celebrate. So please let me know via email at theblodcast at gmail.com or in the comments on YouTube or in Instagram. I wish you all a wonderful time and I will talk to you very soon. Next season, next season, next episode will be about Odin, the Alfadir, the father of the, uh, of the Nordic gods. So stay tuned for this. And as always, know that you are loved. Know that you are able to love because you are love. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.